Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place, and that's because this is where the best run. Okay, let's see what the buzz on the street is. I did a little research on our topic today, and I found a website on uh, highest paying careers in sustainability. I thought that was an interesting approach, and I just used a keyword there. Let me read you just a couple of little snippets that'll get your attention from this site. Chief Sustainability Executives... The new environmental chiefs wield extraordinary power. All I can say is, wow, does your company have one? Do you want one? Do you need one? Do you want to be one? Well, let's look at why this is important. Today, more employees, more consumers, more stockholders, whichever category or categories you fall in, expect the companies they work for, the companies they buy from, and the companies they invest in, and I should say we, to be purpose-driven. So if your company isn't there yet, or if you're just bandying around the word, we're a purpose-driven company, and you put it on your website, and you put it in your marketing materials, and you put it on social media, but you're not doing it, you're not living it, Well, you need to get on board. So we have an idea for you. How about sustainability? It's a great way to be purpose-driven and get everybody's attention and put the pedal to the middle. Put sustainability at the intersection of what your company does, how you operate, your technical, your physical, and your organization roles. You're probably saying, well, gee, that sounds interesting, but it sounds tough. Well, we have another idea for you. Hire a sustainable innovation technologist. And this goes with what I opened up about the idea of a chief sustainability executive. Underneath that title, you can have a team of sustainable innovation technologists. So what are they going to do? He or she will develop your teams, your solutions, and your procedures to grow your efficiency. That's good. Help with employee retention. Well, who doesn't want that? Boost your global impact. That's the purpose. And even boost your profits while reducing costs. Sound too good to be true? Doesn't need to be. So welcome again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here on our flagship series, Coffee Break with Game Changers. We have an audience all over the world, loyal listeners, and we are so grateful to you for appreciating the format we're bringing you. Let me tell you who my three experts are today. We're going to tackle this project and help figure it out for you. Welcoming back the three of them, actually, we did part one of this topic on April 10th of this year, 2018, on our series called Changing the Game with Purpose Radio, and my colleague Brad Borkin at SAP put that show together. It was so good, I invite the panelists back. In a moment, you'll be meeting again Dr. John Fry. He spells his last name F-R-E-Y. He is an HPE strategist on IT efficiency, and he'll tell us about HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, and he'll tell us what a strategist on IT efficiency does. Joining him is a a very frequent guest on Game Changers, Rob Tila. He spells his last name T-H-I-E-L-E, Senior Director at Open Text. Yes, now you know who he is. And rounding out the panel is a gentleman who I have a picture of him standing on a mountaintop, and I understand today he's at a beach, always somewhere interesting, Jim Sullivan at SAP, and we'll find out what he's been up to. So welcome to our panelists. And Dr. John Fry has sent us an opening quote from Mother Teresa, 
known in the Roman Catholic Church as St. Teresa of Calcutta. She was born in 1910, passed away in 1997. She won a series of awards, including the Nobel Peace Prize, the Bharat Ratna, and the Order of the Smile. We'll just leave it there. And here's the quote. If we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Dr. John Fry, how are you? I am wonderful today. It's a great day in Texas, a little warm, but it's sunny. Um, and so we are, are having a great day here. I'm glad to hear that. We're going to have a great day because you're on the show. So tell me about this quote from Mother Teresa. We're talking sustainability. Yeah, I love this quote because often in our business worlds, we get so focused on our job or on our corporation. And yet if we take a more strategic look at life, what we do, and particularly in sustainability around social and environmental programs, we have to keep in mind that we are on one single planet that we all share together and that if we look in terms of what causes most conflict it's around you know, around the world, it's when we forget that we belong to one another and we do what's best or what we perceive as best for us, not recognizing that that causes an adverse impact on somewhere else. So what I love about this quote and what I love about sustainability is we get the opportunity in our jobs and in our lives to say, how do we work collaboratively together and how do we work for common good? I like that whole concept, John. And and may I call you John, or would you like to be Dr. Yeah, John? Who would you like to be? John, okay, thank you. Question, in my opening, I talked about companies that just bandy about the term, well, we're a purpose-driven, co- oh, we're doing this, but they don't really do much. Is sustainability, in your opinion, the best way to come out of the gate and saying, yes, we are doing something for the world, for the environment? What's your thought? Yeah, really, my approach tends to be, do the great work first and then talk about it. So often ah. companies get that in the wrong order. They want to talk about what they intend to do. Uh, and then somewhere in, in the challenging business environment and in changing financial world, maybe perhaps they don't get to do the things that they committed. But customers see that. They really see through that. And so they want to see programmatic leadership first. So I contend that sustainability makes great sense for a variety of reasons for a corporation, but you've got to do the work first. And by the way, accrue the benefits that come with that, and then you can talk more credibly about it. I like that a lot. Thank you very much. I love what you just said, John. Do it first, then talk about it. Uh, wonderful approach. I think that that could be a mantra for what we're going to talk about today. Thank you so much and welcome back. And we'll get back to you in a few minutes and find out what you've been up to and you'll tell us a little about your job and what HPE is doing these days. And now let's turn to Rob Tila at Open Text. And Rob wanted to send me a quote from Andrew Liveris, or Liveris, L-I-V-E-R-I-S, uh, still very much with us, born in 1954. I call that a young guy, Rob, allow me that. Uh, CEO and chairman of the Dow Chemical Company and certainly a man who has achieved a lot. He's a member of the Dow's Board of Directors since 2004, CEO from 2004 and chairman of the board. Um, let's see, COO. Anyway, very storied man. He's appointed to lead advisory groups to the White House under both the Obama and the Trump administrations. So there were several quotes from Andrew Laveras, and he appeared at the NYU Stern Center for Sustainable Business Practice Forum on building the financial case for sustainability. 
ability. Okay, so that's what we were that's what we're talking about today. I found a fascinating little quote, one, two, three, four, five, seven words. And Rob, this is the quote I <laughs> jointly with you have selected from Andrew Laveris. And here it is. We need to make science sexy again. Oh my goodness, I said that word on live radio. Rob Tila, you forgive me. I picked the quote. Is that okay? I absolutely forgive you. And, and I actually like putting something, uh, kind of dropping a little bit of a bomb by uh, <laughs> by picking the CEO of Dow Chemical. And there were some uh, recent uh, controversial uh, situations, you know, in front of our dialogue here. But, I, I, you know, that aside, I, I still think it's it's a very important uh, statement, you know, making science yeah. sexy again. And, and if I expand... On that term, science a little bit, you know, we have this term STEM, S-T-E-M, uh, mm-hmm. science, technology, engineering, and, engineering, and math. Yes. And that is just very, very important. And it's not sort of a, a school, stu, school and, uh, and college type <coughs> topic, but it's really about innovation, learning about the world, technical literacy, and problem solving. And if we want to attack um, the the biggest problems we face in the world, then I think uh, STEM is is pushing the limits. It helps us move forward and finding better ways to do things. So I'm a huge fan of uh, of uh, investing in mm-hmm. in uh, science, technology, engineering, and math education. I think it's absolutely crucial um, to again solve global problems, but also to be competitive as a company. And why the interest in STEM is going up. Uh, I read uh, in, in 2016 about 48% of, of students that took the, the ACT uh, college readiness test and expressed interest in STEM degrees. Uh, so 48% were interested in STEM type uh, careers, but only 26% actually passed the test. Mm. Um, so and, and this actually became a few years uh, earlier, it even became a presidential topic um, to to uh, boost that the interest and boost the proficiency, and that has a very uh, strong mid and long term impact in terms of where we're heading as a company, uh, as a nation, and 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 pretty much around the globe, um, because we need those skills. Rob, very interesting you brought that up, and we speak on several of our series about gender equality in pay and in hiring and in advancement opportunities in companies. While you were speaking, you won't be surprised, I looked up STEM for Girls because that's a topic that comes up all the time and I just found a, a whole bunch of a, a whole bunch of references here on Google how many did I find a 224,000 no I'm sorry 224 million results in 0.63 seconds so much for science right and so much for the algorithms and the first one that popped up is why stem for girls is so important and the website interestingly enough is called gosciencegirls.com and it says stem stands for as you said science technology engineering and math or in Australia they call it math with a plural, with an S. More alarming is the shortage of female skilled workers and students in STEM. A lack of women in these fields means, means fewer female role models, both for current female STEM employees and the future, all kinds of... So the reason I'm bringing this up is talking about the concept of science, making science sexy again. When people hear us talk today on this show, Rob, and I can go around the panel after we speak with Jim and get his quote, when they hear the concept of a sustainable innovation technologist, do you think it Immediately to say, oh, that person probably has to know a lot about science. Do you think that's what it evokes, Rob? 
Uh, I think it needs to be science, te- science technology, and innovation-driven. Yes. Yes. Um, this is not a discussion about you know beliefs. Um, it, it really needs to be grounded in in uh, technology innovations. And, and I have a few uh, examples that we can that we can discuss uh, a little bit later. But to your comment, um, I think uh, so. First of all, from, from an open text point of view, we're very passionate about women in technology, and we have an over uh, average um, uh, ratio of women in in in, in our tech jobs. And uh, we invest a lot, you know, early on to raise interest, to have, you know, workshops where uh, young people can play and develop some code and, and things like that to, to really um, stir the interest. And, and that's our pool of talent, and that's what's fueling our innovation. And uh, we also show leadership examples in, you know, mm-hmm. Women in Technology Summit, etc. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we can't we can't cut out uh, parts of the potential or actual workforce um, if we want to invest in innovation and, and if we want to tackle the world's largest problems. Thank you very much, Rob. Great to speak with you again. Thank you for joining me. And now let's go to Jim Sullivan. And we have a quote from Thomas L. Friedman, American journalist and author. He won the Pulitzer Prize only three times. He has been published as a correspondent all over the world. And let's see, he covered the war in Lebanon. He covered uh, international affairs based in Israel and terrorist threats all over the world. So here's the quote that Jim has selected. Do you know what my favorite renewable fuel is? An ecosystem of innovation. How appropriate. Jim Sullivan, you were in the mountains last time, I think. Now you're on the beach. We'll talk during the What's in Your Cup segment, but can you just tell us what beach you're on today, please? Yeah, happy to, Bonnie. I'm I'm actually coming to you from vacation this week. I'm at Rehoboth Beach in uh, Delaware, but um, uh, making a uh, purpose-based world and solving global challenges is... uh, so important that I wanted to make sure I uh, I called in even from the uh, the seashore here to uh, to talk about this topic with our uh, with our friends John and uh, Rob. You are so loyal to us, Jim Sullivan. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. So talk to me about this quote regarding ecosystem for innovation. And I love the fact that Thomas Friedman put in the word renewable, renewable fuel, innovation, ecosystem. And we're talking today about sustainable innovation technologists. So maybe I want to ask you, do you think those three words really go together? Is innovation sustainable? Do, can we train technologists to help sustain innovation? I, I didn't really pull apart the etymology of the phrase or of the job title, but wh- <laughs> why don't you help us with that a little bit? I need you a little bit closer to your phone. Oh, sure. Um, and I, I would like to just uh, follow up on what uh, John and Rob said. I think when yeah. people look at innovation and technology, they really look at you know the science side of things and the technology side of things. And honestly, to solve some of these large global challenges, it's a people issue. It's a change management issue, and it's how do you get people engaged along with technology around purpose uh, or sustainability to lead to uh, uh, to impact. So that's what I really like about the quote as it pulls together this idea of technology, this idea of innovation and renewable, but with this idea that we need people uh, focused on the topic to, uh, to to lead to the change management that we're we're looking for. And the, the final piece I want to do um, highlight is, is I think, um, both John and uh, Rob hit on it as well, is this concept of authenticity as mm-hmm. a corporation or as somebody working on 
the topic area. You could, um, you know, be pulling out a, a topic out of left field that is an important topic, but if it's not core to who you are as a person, who you are as a company, what you're focused on, it may not come across as authentic. So also want to have that theme today of tying authenticity and what, what both people and companies are doing towards uh, this change management idea. Thank you very much. I like the idea of introducing change management into the topic. Thank you so much, Jim Sullivan. Before I ask the three of you where you are, we, we know where Jim is anyway, uh, and I think we got a little bit from John when he started. I want to go around the table and just ask Dr. John Fry at HPE and, and Rob Teal at Open Text if we pull apart the title we're talking about, Now Hiring on Purpose, Sustainable Innovation Technologist. Do those three words belong together and is that a realistic job title? Is innovation sustainable? And can you have a technologist in charge of sustaining it? John Fry, what do you think? Yeah, I, you might remember in, in episode one or in part one, I actually mentioned that I did hold that title actually for. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. In Hewlett Packard and, and early into Hewlett Packard Enterprises life. I, I think they go together well. And in fact, I had the opportunity to craft that title before I held it, and we really took a good look at what is the role about? It's, a, it's about doing innovation and doing innovation with the intent of having it being purposeful and specifically sustainable innovation, and yet we are a technology company, and so to engage with the other engineers and technologists around our company, we recognize that it had to be someone that had that technical background that understood IT that understood the customer business challenges, um, and that actually worked really well, and, and there were some great innovations that we helped bring to market because of pulling those three elements together. Um, it did get a little uh, head-scratching from other technologists in the company early on, and they thought, well, tell me more about what sustainable innovation and technology bring to one another. So I think that the title is actually a very good title. I think the title articulates a particular frame of reference or a mindset that we're being very intentional to drive innovation, but innovation in a sustainable way. Thank you very much. Very thoughtful response as always. Rob Tila, do you like those three words together? Do you have somebody like that at Open Text or is it you? Uh, yeah, I, I really like those because I think that um, technology is now opening up completely different possibilities, uh, whether it's, you know, think about sustainable supply chains and making sure you know whether your food or whatever the, the, the ingredients or the, the, the materials are is coming from the right sources. And, um, and and kind of controlling that, having all these insights. Or to give you an example, uh, GE um, had a pilot around smart LEDs with Intel and Tata Consulting. And, and that's quite interesting because if you look at manufacturing or industry, uh, they account for 33% of the world's energy consumption. So there's a lot of energy that's being used. And uh, they were introducing smart, intelligent LED lights that were actually also capable of collecting temperature data from the locations near uh, a, a machine or a turbine. And then they connected that using the Internet of Things. They uh, built mm -hmm. an app to visualize it, etc. And now they can, they can assess um, the temperatures. They can assess how long it takes to cool down. 
and when it's safe to uh, to maintain, repair something. So uh, they're using very innovative technology ingredients like the smart LEDs, like the IoT, like the app with the analytics and the visualizations to do something that helps optimize the business. I'm pretty sure there are significant uh, savings there because you can reduce cycle times to, to service something, uh, improve, safe, improve safety uh, for the people who are actually doing that, and uh, ultimately also lowers their, their consumption and uh, provides additional benefits. So great example of, uh, of lever- leveraging uh, technology and, and having an impact. Thank you very much. Jim Sullivan, anything you want to add to that? I want to be fair. I started asking you the question a few minutes ago, but anything you want to add in light of what John and Rob just mentioned? Yeah, first point is I think I would agree with uh, what both of uh, both of them said. The, the second point is, um, going back to Rob's quote at the beginning, I, I find it a little bit funny and ironic, but I was actually at that same uh, Stern event uh, speaking on the panel just before uh, Andrew uh, spoke and gave that great quote at the beginning. And another thing he was uh, talking about in that presentation is this idea of using uh, technology to innovate faster in order to avoid uh, commoditization. So as we look at solving these global challenges, um, you know, we as SAP, HPE, uh, OpenText, all of our companies are looking at this new technology as a way to get ahead of the curve. Sure, we can solve many of these global problems, but it really is an and. It's how you pull together people innovation along with technology innovation, along with this idea of leading to impact that's authentic to your uh, to your business. So I, I think very much the three uh, go together incredibly well. And as, uh, as John had summed up at the beginning, sometimes it's a, uh, it's a conversation uh, to, uh, you know, connect the dots for everybody between those three. But I think it's, uh, it's a discussion that we're all, uh, um, you know, feel is, uh, is important to, uh, to pull those together to solve some of these global challenges. Thank you very much, and I like the idea of introducing global challenges because that's really what we are facing, no matter who you are and where you work and what your experience is. We have them and we share them. So now let's go back officially to do what we needed to do a little earlier, but I love the conversation, Dr. John Fry. Exactly where are you today? You can remind me. And what's in your cup today? But if it's not your favorite drink, I don't care what you're drinking right now. What's the drink that powers you to be so smart and so full of energy? And then quickly, what are you doing at HPE? And tell everybody what HPE does. Go ahead, John. Sure. Yeah, I find myself in Houston, Texas, which is home base for me today. Uh, I have water in my cup directly. I've I've already gotten my run in. In, in Texas, you have to get your run in pretty early or it's just too miserable to do it. But I'm powered uh, by what's in the ferment or downstairs. We have a New England IPA bubbling away, just uh, happy, and in a couple weeks that will be ready to drink. And that's that's really one of my drinks of innovation, partially because I love to sit around and have conversations with folks when they have a beer in their hand and some of the most creative ideas come out of the midst of those times and those conversations together. And they, you get to share a variety of perspectives and opinions that might not agree with your own. And that's how we really drive uh, innovation. In fact, I think Stanford uses the term catalytic collaboration for how do you bring people together with very differing opinions 
to drive innovation forward in a rapid way. And so I find myself with Hewlett Packard Enterprise, which is one part of the company that was previously known as Hewlett Packard. We're the side that manages and sells all of the things and provides solutions for our customers on the enterprise side. So the things that are in data centers, so the hardware, software, and solutions that make up the cloud, um, we provide those types of compute capabilities and solutions along with solutions for the edge, this increasing thing that we're talking about in terms of the Internet of Things. So how do you get those things to talk together? How do you make sense of all of the data that they're sending? And how do you use that for business value? So that's what Hewlett Packard Enterprise does, is really help our customers do that, all while driving efficiency and sustainability as part of that as well. Thank you very much. Wonderful to have you back, Dr. John Fry. Rob Tila, it's been a little while since we've caught up with you. Where are you today? What do you love to drink the most, the most, the most in the whole wide world? And what's new with you at Open Text? Talk to us. Yeah, so I'm in the Boston area. And uh, when uh, I spoke <laughs> after your last question, I have a I have a coffee machine with a timer in it, and it was just switching off, <laughs> so I hope it was not too noisy in the background. <laughs> no, we didn't hear it. Okay. I, I, I really like uh, good espresso beans, and I have this uh, Jura machine that is actually grinding it. I just press a few buttons, and it makes really fresh coffee in the morning. So, uh, obviously, it was just switching off, so I didn't use it for some time. I need to get my dose to get up and running, and right now I'm running on water with ice. But I really liked the uh, IPA-fueled innovation topic, um, so that's something I reserve for the evenings, though, and not during the day. <laughs> Thank you very much. What's going on and with it, you at Open Text? What are you doing yeah, these days? In terms of Open Text, uh, it's a really exciting times. So Open Text. Uh, in case you haven't heard about it, it's one of the top 10 uh, software companies in the world. And uh, we deal with all things enterprise information management. So we help companies connect information, digitize information, and really use it in a very intelligent and secure way. Uh, a lot of information is uh, today you know, traveling or exists in documents, and it may be paper, it may be inefficient, and may not be sustainable. Uh, it may cause risks if it's not at the right place at the right time, and we help really digitizing all of that, make it seamless, and uh, um, that's really um, what we're doing. And uh, it's quite interesting times uh, with uh, digitization, with companies looking at new ways of doing business, partnering beyond um, their existing ecosystems, and that's all ultimately, if you think about it, fueled by digital information. So we're, we're helping companies do that. Thank you very much. Welcome back again. And Jim Sullivan on the beach today. Jim, what is your favorite beach drink? I think we could be specific considering where you are. And what's your current role at SAP? What are you up to these days? Sure. So I'm, I'm in the middle of, uh, of both of those points of view, Bonnie. I think my, uh, my current uh, drink of choice is a, uh, is a, a mocha from a Coffee Mill. Uh, which Ooh. is a local coffee purveyor here in Rehoboth Beach, uh, which is a great way to start the day and uh, and get some uh, caffeine from a local purveyor. The beans they use is Ceremony uh, Coffee, which is a local uh, roaster here in Annapolis. So my uh, my theme of the morning is uh, localization and caffeine to get uh, enough energy to uh, 
innovate throughout the day. And then uh, this evening, the drink of choice will probably flip to a uh, an IPA, as, uh, as the other uh, panelists have mentioned. And uh, there's, a again, a great local brewery here called Dogfish Head uh, that <laughs> makes a wonderful 60-minute uh, IPA, which will probably be the... Uh, the drink of choice for evening innovation starting in about five or six hours. No, wait a minute. 60-minute IPA, what does that mean? They brew it in 60 minutes? Maybe maybe John is the uh, brewer uh, working on it in his basement could give you a better uh, explanation. <laughs> John, is that possible? Yeah, so typically, uh, and I know Dogfish Head uh, fairly well, and their founder is quite a beer innovator. Um, I think that means that their first top load goes in for all of the boil, typically beer is, is boiled um, for 60 minutes to both sterilize it and to extract the bitterness out of the hops. So 60-minute IPA probably means they're boiling their hops for 60 minutes. Ah, okay. And I did find dogfish. Bitter. That's one word, head. Second word, craft brewery uh, in Milton, Delaware. And they have a place called Dogfish Head Brewings and Eats. Very interesting. Brewed, craft brewed ales. Off-centered stuff for off-centered people, I think it's called. I'm sorry. I'm so, so my, I, my theme of the day is uh, locally sourced, uh, Bonnie, here at the beach. Unfortunately, there's some uh, good purveyors of, uh, of all things local uh, uh, down here as well. Thank you. You rescued me from the off-centered comment. I had no idea where I was going to go with that once I read it. And the other reads, the other quotes were unmentionable on radio. So very, very interesting. So what's your current title, Mr. Jim Sullivan, and what are you up to? I am, uh, I am running a sustainability innovation accelerator uh, at SAP today, Bonnie. So that's, uh, I think, probably fairly similar to your your title, looking at, uh, at dream jobs. And what that really means is we, um, you know, we've talked about authenticity and what uh, companies are doing and talking about what we're doing. So at SAP, we have a very long history of uh, getting ahead of some of these environment and, uh, and social issues, the women in management. Um, we were one of the first companies to come out with a science-based target around uh, climate change. And what we're really looking to do as part of the organization is to use sustainability and purpose is a way to accelerate mm-hmm. technology innovation to solve some of these global uh, challenges. So uh, one example of that, um, I'll tie it to the beach uh, that I'm at, is this uh, mega challenge that's popping up of resource productivity and particularly waste. So plastics in the oceans has become a very important and big uh, topic lately. And there's mm-hmm. uh, one uh, colleague I've worked with closely, Stephen Jameson, uh, that's been running a plastics challenge is how do we as a technology company pull together various members of the ecosystem and, and do some design thinking uh, with many of our customers and many consumers and look to begin to solve these these global problems and how can we use technology innovation as a way to uh, to accelerate some of those um, uh, some of those um, solutions. Thank you very much. You, it reminded me of uh, on my, well, you know, I used to live in Long Island, um, and it reminded me that on my TV show, Something to Talk About, I had people from a, a volunteer group that trains people to go out in, in not particularly big but flat-bottom boats and take the stuff out of Great South Bay, and they have created, it looks like a dummy, Jim. It, it's it's a, 
I don't know what to call it. It looks like a person, but it's made from things that were reclaimed from the water, metal and hats and boots and jackets and the substance. One of these is called Flotsam and one is called Jetsam. Jetsam. And they train volunteers to go out and help them dredge off what's floating in the water to clean up and, and make the great Long Island Sound, basically Great South Bay, much more sustainable and clean and uh, very, very interesting. I can't find the name of the organization, but I don't know. I'll find it at some point, but you reminded me of that. So thank you very much. I will find it. I will find it. So uh, let's go around the table. And you know what, Dr. John Fry, I've decided because we're running a little bit late, this is such a good conversation. And we have basically been having a roundtable since we started. So I'm going to go right to some of your roundtable statements. And let's keep this tight at two minutes apiece. And I'm going to read something from your notes from part one. You can elaborate on it. Give us a little expansion. And then I will invite Rob Tila and Jim Sullivan to comment on your topic, then I'll pick one from Rob and I'll pick one from Jim and that'll do it. So Dr. John Fry says climate change is a threat to society, the natural environment and business. And then you add powering carbon neutral data centers using fuel cells is one example of collaboration with startups, large corporations and governments. I think that brings a lot of elements into the conversation. So John, can you tell us more? Yeah, uh, one of the challenges of going to renewable fuels, and HPE has made a commitment to transition to 100% renewable energy, is what do you do when the sun's not shining or the wind's not blowing? Mm -hmm. And in some cases, that's fine if you're not doing operations, for example, when the sun's not shining. But in our business, if you're going to power a data center, how do you manage that when you're using renewable sources, but they're not Um, consistent and continuous renewable resources. And so we've been doing research with the National Renewable Energy Lab up in Boulder, Colorado, um, Mm -hmm. with Daimler Chrysler, the the automotive manufacturer, as well as a company called Power Innovations um, in American Fork, Utah, looking at could we power IT loads with fuel cells? Um, And the answer is yes, by the way. And then if that's the case, how do we have uh, the IT load powered by solar energy when the sun is shining or wind power when the wind is blowing. And then in the interim, you bank any extra capacity as hydrogen and use that hydrogen then to power the fuel cells at the times when the wind is not blowing or the sun's not shining. And actually, as it turns out, if you look at the waste products of those operations like heat off the IT load and things like that, you can actually use that heat to make the fuel cells work even better uh, and more efficiently. You can use that heat to do things like NREL uses to melt snow around their uh, sidewalks and roadways. So it's a really interesting approach when you take a 30,000-foot view of it and you say, how are we going to use sustainable technologies like renewable energy, but yet solve some of the challenges or some of the barriers that might be initially involved with that. And I think we've done that and we're proving it out at scale with NREL as well. And we even have some customers now that are very interested in leveraging those same types of solutions in their business operations. Thank you very much. I love the idea of the collaboration that that mentioned, and I know you say in some of your other notes, uh, I believe that partnership is leadership. I like that a lot. Thank you. Let's let's see what Rob Tila has to say about this. Rob, any comments on what John just introduced? 
Yeah, uh, you know, I spoke about digital earlier, and uh, people may think, you know, digital is is kind of um, cheap. It's uh, it's it's a great benefit for the environment, but but it also requires data centers and, and networks. And uh, uh, the the big companies that are running those data centers um, also think about the Googles and, and the Apples. Actually, mm-hmm. they uh, spend gigantous amounts uh, for the energy bills. And in fact, I think the uh, the Google bill is probably in a one billion dollar range, and so for them, uh, energy and and sustainable energy and and finding good sources of energy is absolutely crucial. And uh, they invested in utility licenses, um, and they also invested in direct partnerships, cutting out the utility companies with renewable. Uh, energy providers like wind parks, etc., because the uh, the renewable energy price is going down constantly. The trend is downward, whereas the fossil fuels are actually volatile. And uh, they they invest in that, and then they they invest in utility licenses so they can also sell excess energy. Um, so some very interesting things going on. Google has sort of a skunkwork project to invest into storing energy, which is a big challenge, especially with renewables, because um, you may not need the energy when, uh, when you have it, when the sun is shining, but at a different point in time. So it's, it's a huge issue, and uh, it's definitely a big, big area of focus for um, the big providers and big data center companies. Thank you very much. Jim Sullivan, please join us. Yeah, I, I um, uh, would fully agree on uh, on clean energy being an incredible opportunity. I think the costs have come down um, incredibly aggressively over the past uh, decade, and the costs of storage are uh, lowering as well. And the the question becomes still, why isn't it scaling at the rate it, it could be, um, despite the costs going down? And uh, technology, I think, is, is part of the equation, but I also think part of it is the... Um, is the business and government uh, will to act on the on the challenge? So again, coming from a authentic point of view, SAP has taken on a science based uh, target on this, looking to get uh, you know to um, a reduction in emissions equivalent to our our contribution to the problem, uh, you know, through 2040, 2050, and we've also taken on a commitment to 100% renewable energy for our data center and, and green cloud. Uh, operations. On one hand, that's a lot. On the other hand, it's it's really not enough. So as we work with uh, customers, uh, we've uh, joined a group, um, again, in the spirit of uncommon collaborations with Bill Gates, mm-hmm. with Microsoft, with GE, many others, called the Breakthrough Energy Coalition, Breakthrough Energy Ventures. And this is a group that's pulled together a billion-dollar investment fund to help uh, not only develop new renewable energy technologies, but also the deployment of those technologies um, quicker uh, at greater scale, improve our projects where uh, where we can look to really accelerate the uh, the learning curve around uh, around those types of deployments. 
Thank you very much. And by the way, sidebar, I did manage to find what I was thinking about. I think, Jim, I was talking to you about the beach cleanup. It's called Operation Splash. They have uh-huh. debris debris removal boats docked in seven towns along Long Island's South Shore. And you can become a volunteer crew member. And I had uh, Captain Dave, I think was his name, the president, on TV with several of their volunteers. And they actually brought these dummies from the reclaimed debris. And they're like six or seven feet tall, and they prop them up in chairs on my set at my TV show. (laughs) It was very, very interesting. And that leads me to some statements here from Rob Tila. And Rob, you had such such an interesting approach to this topic. Uh, Let me read a couple things from your part one notes, and let's see if we can expand it. First, you say desire. Sustainability needs to be desirable. Why would you need and really want sustainability? Then you say emotion drives behavior. And then you say knowledge is key to sustainability. We won't get into is digital greener. That's a whole other conversation. But talk to me about the desirability and the emotion. Because it's as I said in the opening, it sounds good. And, and I think John said a company should walk the walk before they talk the talk, before they talk about it, write about it, do it, damn it, and be sustainable, be environmentally sound, have a purpose and live it, and then tell everybody what you're doing. Don't promote it before you live it. So what's your approach to all this, Rob? Sustainability needs to be desirable. How do we get there? Yeah, so, well, there are multiple ways to get there or to make something desirable. Um, so it's it's really something that um, has support within the company and oftentimes beyond as well. And uh, to make to make sustainability desirable, uh, there could be very good economic benefits. And um, again, you know, going back to the science topic, um, having sort of the right math and, and proving out that this is actually the right thing to do uh, in, in, in the mid and long term is, um, is, is very important. And there are really great economic benefits um, investing in, in sustainability. But it could also, could also be associated with shareholder value. Um, we find that companies that are purpose-driven, that, that really um, invest in, in, in the communities, in, in, in sustainability, making the world a better place, uh, are more attractive, and they perform better. So they're also more attractive for the new workforce. You know, people like to work with companies with a purpose. Um, we also have drivers like uh, regulations where companies just have to change and they have to... Uh, adapt to things, and you know that that may not be the most uh, the most uh, volunteer and and, uh, and and fun type type element, but but mm-hmm. it, it's certainly uh, a big a big driver. And I also see that um, we we're dealing with uh, I just mentioned new workforce. We deal with new uh, new uh, people out there. We have a generations change, and. Um, you know, if you look at millennials today, they are just so much more focused on that topic. Um, they they really think it should be part of how uh, retailers uh, do their business and think about what Amazon is doing now with Whole Foods or mm-hmm. um, uh, other services. So there are a lot of lot of uh, great uh, drivers for to invest in sustainability. And ultimately, it, it needs to have emotion. So it becomes something that really lives and um, that, that kind of gets people excited and uh, uh, gets them to talk about it and be proud about it. And that's really where you need, uh, I think, also good leadership skills uh, to make these, these initiatives work. And 
what I'm observing is that um, in the past, a lot of initiatives were actually born and executed within the company, and now we need more uh, sustainable partnership. And we see some very unusual uh, companies partnering, and, and that, that requires a different type of leadership, and uh, sometimes it's, it's controversial as well within the company, should we do it, should, should we do it not. So there's some great examples out there where companies really spearhead new standards and, and new initiatives that go way beyond what their own company is doing. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Let's see what Jim Sullivan at SAP has to say about what Rob Tila at OpenText just shared. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, I think it's the only way to get to mass acceptance, Bonnie. It, it, I think we talked on a previous program about you know the, the days of Perkins stocks being sustainable or looking at something odd um, as being sustainable uh, really is, is not something that's going to get to mass adoption. You'll get to 5% of the very green consumers or green companies that will adopt and, uh, and will never solve uh, some of these challenges. So the examples I'm looking at are, you know, examples from like Nike Flyknit. It's a shoe that happens to reduce waste, but it has helped Olympic athletes win many gold medals. It's, you know, the Tesla Model S. It, it you know, happens to be an electric vehicle, but it's the fastest, you know, production car at the moment that, oh, by the way, also seats seven adults and you know, can get you to your destination in, in style. So it, it's almost like we have to be more desirable with some of these attributes uh, that are sustainable to get over uh, some consumer skepticism about that. And in a B2B uh, case, it's really, uh, you know, as the other panelists have said, is, is making sure that we have a full, clear um, business case. We had talked earlier today about um, LEDs and the opportunity to collect temperature data for those. I mean, one of the benefits of LEDs in the retail space is in refrigerated sections is they don't produce heat. So you can actually lower mm -hmm. the cooling load, you know, by re revamping with uh, LED lights. And then also you can change the color temperature so that they make produce pop a little more. The greens look a little greener when you walk by. The reds on the French fry bag look a little mm -hmm. redder. And you can make the case that, that those are increasing sales due to you know, more desirability. So it's really looking at ways that, that the product itself becomes not only an equivalent that's better for the world, but becomes a much better product due to these uh, sustainable innovations. Thank you, Jim. John Fry, I'd love to get your thoughts. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's all about how do we frame up the positive benefits of the sustainability solution? A big part of my role, and I suspect Rob's and Jim's as well, when I work with our customers to help them drive sustainability innovation throughout their companies and use our equipment and our solutions more effectively. In some cases, if I'm talking to a finance person, I'm going to use OPEX, CAPEX reduction language. If I'm talking to mm -hmm. um, uh, sustainability executives, I'm talking about how, how it helps them with carbon footprint reduction language. If I'm talking to the CEO or the chief marketing officer, I'm talking about reputational enhancement. Um, and by the way, um, in many cases, I'm getting all of those folks in the same room and often introducing themselves to one another. It still astounds me how many chief sustainability officers don't know the other um, CXO officers in their companies. And so what we find is when you can look at these uh, innovations or, or these opportunities from a variety of perspectives, you can almost always find some benefit that resonates 
with each person's role that you're talking to around the table. And when you do that, the innovation is going to get accepted. The innovation is going to get deployed um, because everybody wants those opportunities that exist that they just weren't aware of. Thank you very much. And in the interest of time, because we're technically in about 90 seconds, we're in our crystal ball predictions round. But Jim Sullivan, I just want to visit very quickly. We'll just have you comment. And then, John, get ready for your 60-second prediction, please. Uh, Jim, you say uncommon collaborations. There is is an increasing blurring of industry lines as well as industry and non-governmental organizations. And you say finance is taking a much closer look at business purpose. Business is realizing these issues are too big to solve alone, and companies are increasingly taking action that helps long-term purpose. So is this all good news, Jim? I think, as uh, John said, we have to have uh, different people talking to each other. Uh, You know, one of the um, major benefits uh, at SAP in terms of our uh, organizational structure is our chief sustainability officer, actually reports into our finance organization. So our, our chief finance officer uh, is the lead uh, for that program, which, which you know, puts a, a bit of onus on us to make sure that the business cases are all uh, incredibly solid around this. But, um, you know, to the point about the, the uncommon collaborations in the ecosystems, I think it's vitally important. And, you know, we talked about renewable energy earlier. What you're seeing is utilities are not necessarily the energy providers of the future. Uh, they mm-hmm. can be. They can also potentially be the delivery mechanisms. But you're seeing a new breed of energy prosumer that's putting solar panels on their house, and they're becoming a generator. Uh, you're seeing, as uh, Rob said, you know, the Amazons of the world and others uh, directly investing in uh, projects on that. So you're really beginning to see a blurring of energy lines. That's one example in in the clean energy topic. You're seeing it along the resource topic too, with chemical companies now investing heavily into bio-based products. Um, you know, which are potentially a, a replacement for uh, plastic. So we're, we're, you know, I think still in early days seeing how a lot of this shakes out, but uh, there's increasingly a blurring of industry lines as, uh, as certain industries are disrupted and other industries are looking for, uh, for new markets that uh, might be adjacent to or extending the markets that they're, they're already operating in. Thank you very much. Time for a great gym. Let's t- go to our crystal ball, Dr. John Fry at HP. I know you're ready for me. 60 seconds. What will change? Let's look between 2020 and 2025. You could pick a specific day if you want, Dr. John Fryer. We'll just say vaguely in that five-year time frame, what will change about this concept of having a sustainable innovation technologist or a chief sustainability officer? Will the title change and will it become more popular? John Fry, 60 seconds. Yeah, I don't think the title is going to change in that time frame. Quite frankly, I think it's going to become even more important. As, as technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning really come from the hype stage, which I think is where many of them are now, to the real implementation stage, then the question in that timeline is going to be, so how do we solve the unintended consequences that hopefully we've discovered by then? And then how do we use those technologies for good um, in a, a much broader sense? And so I think that role is going to be even more vital then than it is today. Thank you very much. Very well put. Let's go to Rob Tila at Open Text. Rob, 60 seconds. They're all yours. Yeah, I think... Uh Technology will have a much bigger impact on sustainability. I think, well, you know, the LED example, temperature sensing LEDs, IoT, etc., is just is just really 
a starting point. And we don't really know what we don't know. There will be way more impact. And I also think um, I can second that the industry lines will be blurring and we'll see more and more partnerships uh, across different lines and sometimes even controversial partners, you know, the MSC with... Uh, P&G and with um, with the World Wildlife Fund, etc. So I think we'll see way, way more uh, driven by the private sector and by those partnerships. Thank you very much, Mr. Jim Sullivan at the beach. You go back to the beach as soon as you give me your prediction. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep it. To, I'll keep it to forty-five seconds. That okay. I, I see. Uh, I, I would agree with uh, with um, John and Rob. I think the the positions will stay the same. I think technology will only increase in effectiveness of Solving these, and two predictions I have. One is really a movement towards what I call sustainability by stealth, where you're not talking about it as is an attribute. It just becomes built in as you mm-hmm. look at consumers, as you look at B2B engagements, and somebody will need to ask you about a product or a project or what you're working on, and then you have the answers. Oh, of course it is. You know, we built that in, but it doesn't become the selling point of the product or the of the project. So that's where I beginning to trend to in five years. And the other thing is uh, companies beginning, and I think this will maybe take a longer time than five years, but beginning to look at some of these long-term challenges and the long-term solutions uh, to those. So we're beginning to see, uh, you know, trickles of that in the market. I think, um, uh, you know, one interesting uh, example to me is REI's Opt Outside. Here you have a retailer that has closed all of their stores and all of their websites on the biggest shopping day of the year to say, go outside, you know, go live your purpose and our purpose to their customers. Um, even yesterday, we've seen, you know, a tweet from uh, from the Tesla CEO now looking and threatening to uh, take yes. the company back to private in yes. order to, you know, have to, to execute on a longer term vision rather than being uh, beholden to uh, quarterly uh, reporting on that. So we're seeing more and more examples of all of that where people are beginning to look at these longer term you know, authentic purpose-based approaches and beginning to move their corporate strategy to that. So I think it's um, probably a bit in the hype phase at the moment with certain companies that are at the forefront um, doing that, but I think that will become more and more common as people look to uh, authentically engage with their uh, with their customers. Thank you, Jim. I read that about Tesla and the stock price went up at that announcement. They said it was done very quietly and very unemotionally. That's interesting. Yes, we all know how the markets react to whatever they want to react to. That aside, I want to thank my three experts today, Dr. John Fry at HPE, Rob Tila at Open Text, Jim Sullivan at SAP. Wonderful having the three of you back to talk about such an important topic, hiring on purpose. And that's a double entendre, sustainable innovation technology. Shout out to Brad Borkin for originally inviting these three experts on his series, Changing the Game with Purpose, or Game Changers with Purpose. I get them all mixed up. We only have 39 series right now, and they all have something to do with Game Changers. A shout out to Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio, our intrepid engineer. Actually, he's way too young to have the word intrepid in front of his name, but I do it anyway. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and just a little sneak peek. At 2 p.m. today, we are live, actually, August 8, 2018. I'll be back with Game Changing Pre- predictive machine learning and this is a must listen topic uh, we're going to be talking about let's see if I can find my topic here it is in my notes okay coming up yes business analyst by day data science hero 
by night. Is there a cape involved? Tune in and find out. We have Jason Olson from Kimberly Clark. We will have Chris Carter, CEO of Aproyo, and Samantha Wong at SAP. So here's my call to action. Get to it already, Bonnie. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Dr. John Fry, just like Rob Tila, and just like Jim Sullivan. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.